Rural Queensland today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. The show starts now for this fourth day of July and uh, welcome to wherever you're listening across the network through 4VL Charleville, 4ZR in Roma, 4HI in Emerald, 4LM Mount Isa, 4GC at Charters Towers, 4LG Longridge, 4SB Kingaroy and the Hot Country Network. Andrew, what's with you here? For today's edition and another bumper show with uh, plenty to talk about throughout the course of the morning. Uh, Later on in the program, we'll catch up with NRL legend Scott Prince uh, to talk about the Queensland Touch Football Competition. Also, the uh, new head NRLW coach of the Broncos. Uh, Kyle Malrooney will talk about rural crime. I'll do a live cross to Greg Donovan at Birdsville for the Big Red Bash. John Palmer will talk um, Scouts, the 25th year of the Jamboree. Uh, They're going to South Korea this year. And first up, earlier this week, we heard heard that Jeff Horn was hanging up the boxing gloves to tackle bullying. And uh, to find out more, we're going to catch up with Jeff shortly here on Rural Queensland today for this 4th of July on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Back with Rural Queensland today for this Tuesday, the 4th of July. Now, six years to the day after defeating Manny Pacquiao uh, to take the WBO welterweight title, boxer Jeff Horn has announced he's taking on his biggest fight yet. Standing at Suncorp Stadium yesterday, where the Battle of Brisbane took place back in 2017, Horn said he was officially retiring from the ring to teach Andy... Anti-bullying tactics throughout Queensland schools. I've been lucky enough to uh, catch Jeff for a chat this morning on Rural Queensland Today. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. Mate, firstly, congratulations on such an outstanding boxing career. No, thank you. It's been a whirlwind, that's for sure. It's been a reasonably short time, but look, uh, it's, it's it was, it was a good time, that's for sure. And, mate, no doubt there's been plenty of offers uh, to get you back in the ring over the past couple of years. Um, I guess what, what came to the decision that it was time, the right time, to hang up the gloves? Yeah, look, I have had a couple of pretty decent offers over the last couple of years. But, um, look, there's a number of reasons. Uh, yes, my health. Uh, I am fine at the moment, but I guess you never know going into the... the, the the boxing ring, what's going to happen to you? So it is a dangerous sport. So I better be safer than sorry. And I've got much more important work to do as well with Bullyproof Australia. And that's trying to, I guess, bullyproof our state at the moment and bullyproof the whole country uh, sooner or later because uh, I feel like bullying these days is just out of hand. And I went through it when I was younger. So I know kids are going through it even worse now with technology. And Jeff, take us through some of your experiences I know they're often hard to talk about but it's probably what led you to your boxing career but you know what sort of things did you endure when you're a young chap look um I got into a couple of fights not ones that I won either when I was when I was younger and I also got uh name called over and over and over again even though kids probably thought it was a bit funny and it was just a bit of a joke maybe but uh because it was repetitive and constant it kind of grew it into me and made me feel pretty low at the time and made me feel like I was just the part of the joke from pe- for people. And uh, it wasn't wasn't a nice time in my life at, at that age. Now, Bullyproof Australia's mission is to change the culture towards bullying and mental health at every school in Australia. Bullyproof, 
uh, bullyproof Australia's belief is that an ideal learning environment is where one where students and teachers feel safe, appreciated, respected, liked, and happy. Jeff, how did your association um, start with Bullyproof Australia? Of course, you are their national ambassador. Yes. Uh, look, they they've got the same values as I do. Um, Frank Frank was the one who basically started this uh, thought of of trying to to bullyproof the the country, and he he needed my help to do it. And I brought Glenn on board as well as someone that was uh, had a lot of knowledge in this area because he helped me when I was younger uh, to overcome, I guess, and get more confidence and be able to actually become a fighter. Not that that's what bullyproof is doing, but. It's giving kids the confidence to be able to do whatever they want to do in their lives. And another arm of Bully uh, Proof Australia is uh, their attention to mental health. With one in seven young Australian people affected by mental disorder and mental illness in young people can affect core areas such as education, achievement, relationships and occupational success. Yeah, look, it, bullying affects every area and um, it happens a lot when kids are younger uh, and sometimes when the, when we're young we don't know really what to do and um, it can cause us to go on a different path in life and um, I, I guess I'm trying to change that in, in, in kids. We're trying to give them the confidence to say, yes, you might be getting bullied but here's the tactics that you can use verbally and here's the tactics that you can use physically if, if a situation happens that you know how to get out of it without getting hurt. And we're chatting to Jeff Horn uh, about his retirement and association with Bullyproof Australia on rural Queensland today. You mentioned at the start of the program uh, social media. I mean, it's it's a relatively new part of our lives and it's certainly a big part of bullying and, and having three young daughters myself. Um, they're young now, but they're going to go through the yeah. social media age. It's quite frightening, um, not only for the kids, but for the parents um, to try and assist and help and stop uh, bullying take over. Yes, exactly. Um, it's giving everyone the, the tools and, and the knowledge of how to do it, and that's exactly what Bullyproof Australia are doing. They've even got a mentor app that, that parents can use and can ask their kids quick, uh, questions and learn things about bullying and how, how to recognise it with their kids and how to stop it. So um, it's, it's kind of covering all areas and so that uh, everyone has the knowledge of of what to do when, when this happens to them. Well, from all out here in Western Queensland and rural Queensland today, first, Jeff, um, congratulations on a wonderful boxing career. Um, I know plenty of people right around Australia uh, were with, with you throughout that successful career. And secondly, mate, uh, what a wonderful job you're doing teaming up with Bullyproof Australia um, in the help of aiding uh, many youth across Australia. Uh, thank you very much. I've I've definitely had the highest of highs in the in the boxing world and um, achieving absolute greatness in becoming a world champion. But I keep on saying it, and I say it to all the kids when I go to the schools. I'll give up my belt to save one life from bullying. Um, it's, it's a horrible thing, and um, yes, my world title belt is is a prized possession of mine. But no life no life is is worth less than that, and um, I'll definitely give it up to save one of their lives for it. Anyone uh, listening in today that might need some help with bullying or want to find out more, you can go to Bullyproof Australia. That's all one word, bullyproofaustralia.org.au or their hotline is 1300-881-650. Jeff Horn, you're a star and uh, we really appreciate your time here on Rural Queensland today. Uh, too easy. Thanks for having me and good luck to everyone. Heard right across regional Queensland on the Resonate Broadcast Network.
You tuned into rural Queensland today on this fourth day of July, Tuesday morning, and uh, welcome again to wherever you're tuning in across the Resonate Broadcast Network. This year, 2023 marks the 25th World Scout Jamboree. Now, scouts will be heading to South Korea from the 1st to the 12th of August in uh, what is a life um, remembering, or it's a big it's a big trip for all these youngsters that head across there um, to these jamborees and uh, what a wonderful experience it is to be able to head overseas and joining me uh, a bloke that's been to a couple of these um, we're also going to talk 110 years of Longreach Scouts as well John Palmer uh, good morning good morning Andrew how are you this morning I'm going really well Um, as I said you've done a couple of these uh, world jamborees yeah just a couple mate just a couple (laughs) but you know we're sort of really lucky um, in, in Longreach, where we um, we've had a huge support from our community, um, that allows us to um, allow doesn't matter where you sit in the food chain, allows you to go away to these things, Andrew, and, you, and we get out there and and um, do fundraising and that sort of stuff to allow our our youth to to go over. So um, they're quite a, a big it's quite a big significant um, campsite. Yep, it's um, yeah it's the biggest outdoor campsite in the world. For, for our youth so our youth um, you're looking at 14 to 18 years yep they go over at that age um, this jamboree will have probably 56,000 from wow. 165 68 nations yep um, attend it's an incredible event now your first one from memory was back in 1988 now tell me what are a few of the countries you've been to in that time Okay, so the first one I went to was in Sydney, yep. um, and that was just an experience on its own. Um, that's sort of, you're walking around like a kid in a lolly shop, yep. and, and your eyes are open, and you're not saying too much because it just blows you away. Yep. Um, it's because you're sort of, you, you're camped as an Australian can, uh, camp, then you might have the, 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 the uh, Mexicans beside you, or the Japanese beside you, or the you know, Finn scouts yep. beside you, or whatever. So, you know, we, 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 we've been to Holland, we've been to Sweden, we've been to England for the 100-year celebration of scouting. Yep. And um, we've been to Chile, we've been to Japan, wow. Thailand, West Virginia. Yeah, just to name a few. So, um, and, and we're very fortunate and it's good for our youth from out where we are. Yep. It, it opens their eyes to the world and because they're our future leaders watching and yep. it's nice to give them that experience. What, what sort of things do you undertake at these jamborees? You know, what, what sort of things are the kids doing when they go to these countries? If you think of anything to do with fun, right across <laughs> the whole paddock, yep. that's what we do. Yep. And it's not all about, you know, you, you, know, you, you, you sort of go up and, and you learn a whole heap of things as well. But you, you might do archery, you, you, you might do water activities, you might, yep. do, you might go in, into a, a rainforest and, and, and learn about the rainforest or yep. you might sort of so it all depends what each country has to deliver yep. to what activities you do um, um yeah so it's just it's just all about learning yeah it's it's a, a wonderful concept now john you've been going obviously for a long time now surely they've given you a couple of jobs when you're over there oh yeah, yeah of course <laughs> uh, you, you, you you pay to go over there and you work work um uh, quite long hours yeah um but it's all for a good cause so so uh, my role now is working in the, the, the World Scout Centre. Uh, yep. I work in the head of contingents area. So we look after all the issues from the 165 contingents. Um, we meet every morning and then we handle those issues every day. And by the end of the day, that, that lot's done. We're ready for the next day. So 
it's it's um, quite a, a busy area, yep. as you can nearly guess. But um, then you, when you look outside, mate, and, and um, you, know, you look at the opening ceremony and, and these all these little champions from all over the world, yep. they're sitting side by side. Doesn't matter what conflict's on, doesn't matter. Yep. In scouting, you know, once you go into the into the jamboree bubble, yep. um, it's all for one and one for all. We talk about making memories, though, John. I mean, the kids are one thing, but in, in your time of going to these... Surely you've met some wonderful people, some extraordinary people, you know, from all around the world, and you, you make not only memories but friends for life as well. Certainly do, yeah, you, know, you certainly do, and you, know, and you, you lock back in. Yeah, you know, every four years you get yep. it's World Jamborees every four year watching. Sometimes you keep in contact with them, and and um, yeah, so it's it's uh, it's you know you become part of the scouting family, like the international scouting family, and. I know for this year, and the one before the uh, my guy who leads our team, you know, he he uh, he got on to me and sort of said, "He come to this year, yeah, mate." He said, "Well, make sure you're on the team." Yeah, okay. So and yep. that sort of stuff's good. Yeah. And um, and then you have a bit of a flow on and. Um, and we're so lucky like that. And everyone like, loves an Australian. They like our yeah. accent. We don't think we've got one. But, but it's, it's marvellous how they, they, um, they like our accent. And, and um, I know in West Virginia, we, we took a big group across there and, in America. And then, um, yeah, they, they had the whale of a time. Just like the ones that went, went to um, yep. Sydney or, or Sweden or wherever we went to. We're chatting to John Palmer on rural Queensland today. Turning our attention, scouts locally. And uh, Longreach Scouts will celebrate 110 years this November. It's a very, very proud organisation steeped in history in Longreach. And, I mean, just to keep something going for that long and have the support of the community is very special. It is very special. Watching, and someone says, why do you do it? And, and I just say to them, why not? Yeah. You know, because you sort of, yeah, sure, you, you, you give the time. And I've, I've got so many lovely people that have sort of been, been the leaders and or still are, and they've been mm. there for a long time, and it, which makes our scout group a strong scout group. Yeah. And and we, we're dealing with the, uh, our future leaders within our community. Yeah. And, and that's what we're doing. And, and we're teaching the scouting way, you know, it's all about trust and respect and yep. and all those sort of things that you learn as you're coming through yourself uh, as a young person. And and it's, it's just nice to be involved. Yeah, it certainly is. And, of course, they started at a young age with the Cubs, through the Scouts and through the Venturers. And 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 I've seen in the community these these young ones grow into, into wonderful adults as well. And it is just part of that Scouts culture, that respect, um, their values that just come through and 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 they're just good people to have around it, it's and, and we're proud of that mm. as leaders we, we we don't put ourselves in the in at the front you know we're always at the back and, and encouraging yep. them to you know it's all about you know leadership and, and and building their confidence and and you know you sort of there's a few names that drop in their head very very quickly mm. about you know they come to us as quite you know young yep. kids and, and all of a sudden they're they're up and they're, they're out the front there you know doing what they need to do and and um you know become leaders of their own little groups within this within the cubs or the scouts or the ventures and then you know the, the badge system allows that yeah so they, they become the queen scouts or, or now a queen king scout um so and and we've got a proud history of that as well and in the 110 years um john what are the main things you, you're trying to achieve this year Okay, we got a, um, a museum at the at the scout den up there, and um, and as you say, you know, at the scout den, you know, that, that's our third den. Well, yep. it's my only first den. I started there when I was I was seven, seven mm. and a half, and and um, so we've got it. We, that's we've a couple of years a, ago. Just the other day. <laughs> 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 Excuse me. And and they 
and now we're, we're doing an extension to our museum, yep. which is which is going to be special in itself. So um, we're the only scouting museum outside of Brisbane, wow. as such, yep. and we're proud of that. And and people have come out and travel, and they, they um, come and see us. Can we have a look at your museum? Yes, you can. And so um, all that memorabilia, like the, the Longridge history. Then we have our jamboree history, both the national jamborees and also the international jamborees. And it's nice to look back then. People now are sending stuff that they got nowhere yep. to, to put their memorabilia. And they're sending it to us to put into our, our museum, yeah. which I think is special. But uh, the, the other exciting thing is we're, we're working with um, um, the 26th Battalion. Um, yep. Because the 26th Battalion, the guy that, that they scouted there was named, I was called Sergeant Ian Orford. And he was tied up with the 26th Battalion, Andrew. And so we're going to have an avenue of honour between the museum and the old building. And um, so we're, we're, you know, we're, we're working hard to, to make sure that's right, boy. Yeah. Yeah. You only got a couple of days ago, type thing. But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah it, it'll, uh, it'll happen by the end of September. And that's when our celebrations are going to be. Yeah, anyone, anyone wants to uh, find out more about Longridge Scouts, they're easy to find. You can jump on Facebook and uh, find all that information as well for the Longridge Scouts. Uh, John, all the best with the uh, 25th World Jamboree. I know um, you'll pack accordingly and uh, have a good time. I'm not packed yet, Watsy, but I will <laughs> probably the second last day. Although um, I've got a good wife and she makes sure I'm organised and, and uh, she's a very organised person. I'm a very unorganised person type thing, but most men are. But, um, yeah, no, it, 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 it's it's great and, and looking forward to going represent, sure, represent our our own community in Longridge yep. and representing Australia at, at a national jamboree, international jamboree, sorry. John yeah. Palmer, thanks for your time here on Rural Queensland today. Thanks for your time, Andrew. Heard across regional Queensland on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Back with Rural Queensland today, this morning, the 4th of July, and uh, we saw a massive swell of tourists, didn't we, through many of our country towns. Where were they heading? Well, they're heading to Birdsville for the Big Red Bash, which kicks off today, and I'm joined by one of the chief organisers, Greg Donovan, this morning uh, from Birdsville. Good morning, Greg. Good morning. How are you going? Going well. Firstly, um, well, there was probably a little bit of unplanned rain earlier in the week, um, about 14 mils in total. How's uh, everything looking around Big Red? Yeah, look out on site here. It's uh, yeah, we did have some rain uh, near Big Red and also in Birdsville, and get you know, a really the whole the whole uh, outback got rain. You know, Bidora, Bullia, Paduri. Yeah, uh, you know, right, obviously where you guys are. And uh, but no, look, it's uh, it's starting to dry out now. The rain is cleared or clearing, um, and the site's starting to dry out. We had a full uh, program of entertainment on last night, so to kick things off, which is great. Um, yeah, look, and I. Really looking forward to uh, having a few days of uh, not having to watch the weather chart so closely, hopefully. <laughs> Look, and uh, everyone got out there nice and early. It was a great initiative to uh, get those camping grounds open uh, a little bit earlier. Uh, were Birdsville ready, though? That's a big question. Yeah, look, I mean, you're as ready as you can be in circumstances like this. Birdsville, the town, you know, bends over backwards to accommodate everybody. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we knew that there was a bit of rain coming or possibly coming. And, uh, you know, so we plan to open up our campgrounds a couple of days earlier and uh, let as many people in as possible because we, uh, obviously, if you've got uh, that many people, uh, you know, trying to camp in and around Birdsville in the rain, it can get, um, that could cause drama. So we opened up here, we, we took uh, took them out here. We had probably, uh, you know, two-thirds or 70% of our, our crowd already on site when uh, when the rain when the rain arrived. So that was, um, that was great. So those people really just sitting it out. 
at their vans and campsites and uh, keeping dry and sheltered and uh, waiting for the rain to pass. And it looks like it has looking at the forecast. Greg, uh, the, the festival starts um, today. What, uh, what are you looking forward to? Well, we've got a thing called Big Blue Day today, so it's a blue theme. We're uh, asking everybody, all our crowd, to dress up in blue. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, we're raising funds for Juvenile but Diabetes Research Foundation as part of that, and uh, we're doing a new rec- world record. We're going to get as many people gathered together uh, in the shape of a country, which will be Australia, of course, to break to break world record, and uh, to be able to do that, uh, be part of that world record and stand in the shape of Australia, you have to purchase a blue wig, um, and they're $15. All that money goes to Juvenile Diabetes Research. Uh, so we'll all form up into a big shape of Australia and John Williams will be there in front of us all uh, singing True Blue. So oh, how good. That's going, be, that's going to be a pretty special Australian uh, moment, that one. Uh, and that's before the concert even kicks off. So, um, yeah, look, Kudu uh, Guru's on tonight, uh, The Waifs this afternoon, Troy Casadaly. You know, we've got a great program uh, today to, to kick things off. Are you having another crack at the nutbush this year? Uh, yeah, certainly are. We, that's on Thursday. That's on the last day of the festival. So, um, you know, we'll get everybody G'd up. We, uh, the record stands at about 4,000. We're hoping to get over 5,000. Uh, I'm sure we will. Uh, how, however many it ends up as, we'll, we'll wait and see. But, um, yeah, look, everyone's really pumped up to get be part of that. So that should be a lot of fun. I know you're busy. I really appreciate your time this morning uh, here on Rural Queensland today. And all the best with Big Red, which kicks off officially today. Yes, yeah, we're looking forward to it. No worries. That's Greg Donovan from the Big Red Bash. Over in Birdsville, this is Rural Queensland Today on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Back with Rural Queensland Today, heard across regional Queensland on the Resonate Broadcast Network for this uh, 4th of July. It's Tuesday morning. And a big shout-out to all the tourists that are heading around our western districts at the moment. We know there's been plenty of rain around, so uh, if you are travelling, please do so with care. Drive to the conditions. Check in with your local council's Facebook pages and web page. And, of course, if it's flooded, forget it. Now, the Australian Farm Crime Survey is the first attempt for more than 20 years to build an understanding of rural crime on a national scale from the perspective of farmers and landholders. Now, this is being put together by the good folk at the University of New England. Now, we've all heard of cattle duffing and uh, that kind of stuff. Now, it'd be interesting to note uh, what farm crime or rural crime looks like now. So the co-director at the Centre for Rural Criminology at the University of New England, we cross now to Cold Armadale this morning to Dr Kyle Mulrooney. G'day Kyle and thanks for your time. Hey Andrew, thanks for having me on. Now rural crime, um, we, as I said, we, we hear the old terminology cattle duffing and, and, and things like that. Is that what rural crime looks like now or is there uh, more arms to it? It is. I mean, that's the quintessential rural crime, isn't it? It's uh, from time immemorial. Um, that is the crime we think about when we think about uh, farm crime, the theft of livestock. Um, it is still a significant issue. It's a primary um, <clears throat> offence that farmers face. But there's other things. Um, obviously, the theft of tools and machinery. Farmers face a lot of what we call acquisitive crime, so a lot of theft from their property. Um, I think for obvious reasons, there's high-value goods and not a lot of uh, tech or people to see uh, crooks do the deeds. Mm. Um, On top of that, there's a lot of trespass, um, often in relation to illegal hunting and shooting, 
Um, and there's more, I guess, niche crimes that happen often, but uh, usually dependent on the context. For instance, we saw increase in diesel theft um, when the war in Ukraine started, and of course, uh, the price of uh, diesel shot up. Uh, we saw a lot of uh, water theft during the drought. So farmers face um, high levels of victimization. So we ran a survey in New South Wales to sort of pilot to prepare for this larger Australian survey. And that came back showing 80% of farmers had experienced victimization in their life. And I think one thing that really surprised us was just the sheer amount of repeat victimization. So nearly 30% indicated seven or more experiences of crime on their farm. And that was the sort of highest number they could choose on that particular survey. Who are the main perpetrators? I mean, often with these sorts of crimes like minor theft and and diesel, I mean, it's obviously people that know where they're going, know what to look for and and know what they're finding. Um, Are you finding their their workers, disgruntled workers, or just their uh, random acts of crime? Yeah, it's it's a bit of both. Um, I mean, there's a lot of evidence out there that suggests that it's a sort of inside job. That is, if you think about cattle theft, for instance, you need what I would call some practical as well as cultural knowledge. You know, you need to know which tools of the trade are required to muster and load. You need to know how to muster and load. You need to know where you're going to flog them off once they're stolen. So there is a lot of sort of inside knowledge that's required. And so you do see a lot of... um, I guess, individuals that might be known or acquaintances uh, to the farmers that are actually perpetrating. But there's also just opportunistic theft. You know, it's it's a, a barn full of goods, like I was saying, um, and not many people around to see you do the job. So if we think in crime prevention terms, we often talk about risk and reward. So in a busy urban environment, there's a high level of risk, right? You've got a lot of technology. You've got a lot of people around. You've got a lot of what are called formal guardians like police or security. You don't have any of that in a wide open paddock. So you have what we call high rewards, that is high value items, whether it be cattle that's $2,000 walking around on four legs or uh, very expensive machinery and tools. But nobody around to sort of prevent it. Technology is not as easily applied, obviously, in wide open paddocks that can be thousands of hectares large. And so the environment is really conducive to criminogenic behavior, we'd say. Um, and so that's why it's not surprising that we come back with these high levels of victimization amongst farmers. And, and from the perspective of farmers and landholders um, and the awareness that this is going on or is a possibility of going on, what are a few of the steps that these stakeholders can put in place to uh, minimise these crimes? Yeah, reporting, reporting, reporting. Um, And that sounds easier said than done, but we do find from past research as well as the recent research in New South Wales that farmers are often uh, hesitant to report crime. Now, there's a variety of reasons for that. One is they're just aware of the sort of investigatory context in which they're working. So, you know, they might check on their cattle weekly, monthly, maybe a couple months. Um, They find that they're stolen. They report it to the police. Well, first question the police asks is when was this stolen Mm. they have a large window you know the police are kind of on the back foot because they're starting out with uh, very little in terms of that investigatory capacity and so there's there's frustration that can also develop over time you know farmers let down so don't have the confidence so just choose not to report it altogether so we see really low levels of reporting but what happens there is that there's significant on costs Mm. so even when people you know, get the feeling that there's nothing that can be done for them. The value of reporting is absolutely massive. You know, if there's um, crooks operating in the area, 
you know, one, two, three, four reports will show a particular pattern, will allow police to allocate resources to the area. I think in a broader scheme, too, you know, when you, when you do have uh, police decision makers or policy makers or even politicians making decisions around where to invest resources, yeah. the first thing they're going to go to is the sort of raw data, the police reported statistics. The problem with that is that we have a serious dark figure of crime when it comes to farmer victimization, as these victimization uh, surveys have shown. And so the resources just aren't being allocated that are necessary, necessary comparative to the actual victimization farmers are experiencing. So we need that reporting from farmers. Yeah, and I think more practically, um, it's the little things. And it sounds really easy, but lock, um, keeping uh, things out of sight. Uh, and it sounds very basic, but on a... On a active farm um you know farmers aren't always going to lock that gate that they're passing through six eight times a day mm. um the keys aren't always coming out of that ignition for for sort of practical reasons but these sort of basic um target hardening or crime prevention techniques can really go a long way signage for instance is is very powerful the academic research supports this that sort of territorial reinforcement that communicates to would-be thieves that you know somebody cares about this property um, and you're not to be there. Uh, these types of things are, are sound very basic, but are actually quite powerful psychologically when it comes to that, that risk-reward discussion we were having. We're chatting to Dr. Kyle Mulrooney from the University of New England. Now, Kyle, you're still accumulating data uh, through this survey, and any of our listeners out there that want to take part, how do they do so? Yeah, the best bet is uh, old Google. You and me, a farm crime survey should put you the first hit. Otherwise, you can go to the Centre for Rural Criminology's uh, website at UNE there, and it's linked right there. Well, good luck with these studies, of course. Uh, as we know, with any type of crime, prevention is better than cure, and uh, this data that is being collected will certainly help you and uh, police and all the authorities uh, find out good ways to um, attack uh, rural criminology. Dr Kyle Mulrooney from the University of New England, thanks very much for your time this morning here on Rural Queensland Today. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. Heard right across regional Queensland on the Resonate Broadcast Network. Back with Rural Queensland today on this Tuesday morning, the 4th of July. Now, over in Rockhampton... Uh, will be the Queensland Touch Football Junior State Comp this week, kicking off on the 6th and through until the 8th. It'll be held at Rockhampton's Cyril Connell Fields and Northbridge Park. There'll be more than 3,000 participants from 330 affiliated teams. That's from Townsville all the way down to South Tweed. And uh, this will be the first biannual um, cup that will be held in Rocky, um, obviously 2023, uh, all the way to 2031. And joining me is Queensland Touch Football Ambassador Scott Prince this morning. Uh, g'day, mate. How are you going? Yeah, not too bad, Andrew. Yourself? Going really well. Now, um, uh, Touch Football Queensland, the Ambassador, um, how long have you been involved with that for? Um, well, I've been lucky enough to be involved as a, uh, I guess, a Touch Football Ambassador for Queensland Touch Footy for... I'd say probably the last five or six years. Um, you know, ever since that I retired from rugby league, um, I got back into the touch football again. And you know, I, I believe you know touch footy helped shape my skills um, to prepare me for the NRL when I played. And uh, most people say that I played touch football when I did play rugby league. I didn't really <laughs> like tackling, but uh, no, it's a great it's a great sport. It is for everybody. It's you know boys, girls, um, you know little ones, right up to grandparents. So. 
it's a great sport and uh, just very, very honoured and privileged to be still involved in the great game of touch footy. And you hit the nail on the head there, Scott, because even our uh, smaller districts right across Queensland all still have their own little touch football competition. Yeah, that's right, mate. Yeah, and, and the thing is, it's, it's you know, everyone loves the sport. You can, you can play anywhere, you know, as long as you've got a, a footy, a couple of cones and, and, a, and a referee who usually helps. But, you know, people make up their own rules anyway. But <laughs> across the board, as far as um, where the game is played, as you mentioned, you know, like especially with the Junior State Cup, they've got teams coming all the way down from Townsville, uh, further south, I think, down towards the Tweed, Tweed Heads and, and right out west, you know, I'm speaking of places like Chinchilla, Roma, um, you know, I played in Mount Isa, so it is a game that can be played anywhere, and, and uh, you know, people love love touch football. Now, uh, in the twenty twenty three version, there'll be male and female divisions from the ages of eight all the way up to eighteen. Uh, be played in a round robin format Thursday, Friday, and the um, games will be played. Uh, the finals on Saturday. It's a big tournament. Yeah, it certainly is, mate. It, it, it'll be uh, great for the, the you know Rockhampton, you know, for the economy there. That People travel from, from uh, you know, like all over Queensland just to get to the Junior State Cup. And uh, it is a great event. Um, I always love going up there and then watching this, these young, talented, you know, uh, touch football players coming through. You, you see them with smiles on their faces. You know, there's a challenge to win. But overall, the, the thing that we share is, is the love for the sport. But, um, yeah, it's a great, it's a great concept. It's a, it's a really good uh, competition that they're, the kids are involved in, and you know, parents are also involved. In, you know, they they normally travel far and wide just to get to the to, to, to the junior state cup. And right now, we'll uh, we'll find out in a few in, in the next few days who are the the, the champions. It's a pretty incredible too. Now uh, I end up watching a bit of touch football. Now it's streamed um, through um, many different sites. Uh, the, the NRL version type of thing with with the big name clubs playing it. It's gotten really big. Yeah, it certainly has. It's um, you know just with the partnership there through the NRL, obviously, you know boosts the uh, the eyeballs as far as as you mentioned, you know watching it on you know certain certain streams, you know, whether you're live streaming you know, from the computer or you can tune in on KO and so forth. But yeah, the game is is, is certainly watched far and wide. You know, not only in, in Queensland but across Australia, but also internationally as well. So we've got a World Cup coming up, I think, next year. Um, but yeah, that, that gives our younger our younger kids something to aspire to to achieve. You know, representing not only their affiliate and their local competition, but also the Junior State Cup here in Rockhampton. But in particular, you know, they got the chance to then represent their region and then their, their state of Queensland. As we all know, you know, state of origin time to them. Speak a little bit of more Queenslander there, and uh, <laughs> and then obviously then you then you then you got a chance to represent your uh, your um, respected country and. And then in Australia and, and so forth. So it is, it is a sport we can create pathways um, to, to reach the potential that you want to reach. And and not to mention, if you're very good at it, you'll see a lot of codes wanting to uh, to poach you too, which is um, mm. which is a great opportunity as well. You know, we've got a lot of um, a lot of girls playing there in in the in the rugby sevens, but also coming across to to the NRLW as well. And speaking of which, uh, each and every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock here on the Resonate Broadcast Network, I host uh, the off-season with Jamie Soward. Now, uh, you and Sowie, former uh, play... Oh, you played alongside each side each other in the Indigenous All-Stars. You also went head-to-head for many years. And here we are in 2023. You're going head-to-head again. Sowie, the coach of the Dragons, and you uh, taking on the gig at the Broncos. Well done, mate. Congratulations. 
Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it, I've sort of been involved in the women's space in regards to the rugby league world. Um, and uh, it's something that I really wanted to get into. I didn't you know, see myself as a, as a coach of, of a women's team, but it, I just sort of fell into that, that position as far as um, you know, opportunity that presented itself. And I've, I've sort of wanted to, to help out in, in the women's space. And, and here I am, yeah, coach of the, the NRLW Broncos side and loving it too, mind you. It's uh, uh, really looking forward to the development of the women's program, you've seen it you know, start from back in 2018 all the way through now. As we, as we see, you know that's just growing in itself. There's four new teams this year and beyond. Um, I think the Cowboys, Raiders, West Tigers, and Cronulla Sharks have come into the competition now. So it's gone from four teams up to ten teams now. And as you mentioned, Sally's at the helm there at the Dragons. So I think we'll be seeing my little mate in a couple of weeks' time when we play them. But uh, yeah, it all kicked off in three weeks' time. Um, our first game is against uh, the Roosters up there on the sunny coast, so it's, a, it's going to be a cracking first game, and yeah, it's been a long, longer preseason. It's been about six or seven weeks, and the girls are really, uh, really looking forward to the season to start. And who's a couple of your stars to watch out for um, this year in, in the competition? Al, Al Brigginshaw still be the captain? Yeah, yeah, Ali's still there. We uh, we signed her. I think we'll we'll retire her as a Bronco, so she can tend to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, <laughs> the old girl, but no, she's going well. She's. Uh, she still controls the game quite well, you know, as a half. And as we've seen, you know, with the women's state of origin, she can play a number of positions, particularly lock. So we've got some really good youngsters coming through as well. Uh, young Skylar Adams just recently made the under 19 Queensland team. She was a touch footballer as well. She, yep. she played there down there on the, on the Gold Coast. So there is quite the pathway, you know, in transition from touch into rugby league as well. Um, who else we got? We've got a couple of girls there from New Zealand uh, who represented uh, New Zealand in the World Cup. Uh, one in particular, Tafito. She hasn't necessarily played a lot of rugby league. She's a uh, black fern is from rugby union, so it's good that we can get her across as well. So, yeah, we've got a couple of girls there who are working hard and hopefully you know, forging their little little name into the history books, you know, playing rugby league. And spirits must be high around the club. The Broncos men's side are just going great mm. guns, aren't they, with the 12 wins, sitting second or equal on points with Penrith. Um, it's They've been knocking on the door for a couple of years, but all the young guns, everything's fallen into place this year. And, uh, gee whiz, they're a genuine, they're a genuine hope. Yeah, they certainly are, mate. Yeah, they're, uh, they're going well. Um, you know, there's still... A, a lot of water under the bridge. Yeah, there's still some uh, twists and turns and ups and downs as we go throughout the season. But, um, yeah, currently at the moment, the boys are going really well, you know. And they, I know, for one thing, they're working hard. You know, they're making sure they're, uh, they're ticking, ticking all the boxes in regards to their preparation. Um, and, you know, fingers crossed they, they don't fall out the back door like last year. They understand they need to, you know, to really apply themselves for the remaining games. And, and uh, you'll see them, hopefully, making that top four. And... Uh, as you know, statistically, teams that are in the top four have a real decent chance of winning, of winning the competition. And speaking of winning, before I let you go, we're chatting to Scott Prince here on Rural Queensland today. Origin, uh, all eyes were on the uh, team announcements. So I'm a New South Welshman, so how's... Oh, how's no. oh no, yeah. How's, <laughs> I've lived here for long enough now. I've uh, I lived yeah. through the dark ages for us. But uh, AJ Brimson to number one, yeah. a good selection for AJ. He's been playing well on his return this year. Yeah, he certainly has. He's um, he's been in and around, you know, the Queensland Origin team now for for a number of years. Uh, come through the pathway there, coached him in the under twenties, uh, you know, a few years ago, along with probably half that team that's playing under Billy Sater at the moment. So it's just great to see that the boys are really 
worked hard, you know, not only as an individual in their preparation at their respected clubs, but playing some decent footy as well. And they look like they're really enjoying it. So, um, you know, AJ Brimson, the slots in the fullback, obviously, Reese Walsh is uh, suspended for the next, you know, another two weeks. So he gets his chance there to shine and represent, you know, not only himself, his family, but our great state of Queensland. You probably don't want to hear that, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but, um, look, they've been brilliant, Queensland, this year. You've got to give credit where credit's due. I thought that win um, at Suncorp was outstanding. Anyhow, mate, I know you're busy. Thanks for your time this morning on Rural Queensland today and uh, all the best with the touch footy and um, also with the uh, Broncos NRLW side. No, I really appreciate it. It's going to be a busy year. And I just want to shout out to uh, the Rockhampton Regional uh, Council, just for, uh, you know, for the tireless work, you know, bringing this Junior State Cup there into Rocking. So uh, thank you very much for your support. Scott Prince, you're a legend. Thanks, mate, for your time. Thank you. Cheers. On Rural Queensland today. That's it from Rural Queensland today on this fourth day of July. Thanks very much for your company through our great stations on the Resonate Network, including 4ZR Roma, 4HI and Emerald. 4VL Charleville, 4LM Mount Isa, 4GC at Charters Towers, 4LG Longreach, 4SB Kingaroy and the Hot Country Network. Don't forget if you're travelling across the west, particularly through the southwest, central west and northwest, uh, make sure you're checking in with all the up-to-date road conditions uh, with all that glorious rain. Um, please drive to the conditions and check in with your local council's Facebook pages and web pages before you set off across the West. Andrew Watts signing out of rural Queensland today. Have a wonderful Tuesday and I'll be back with you tomorrow from 9am.